every year for the March for Life, uh, when we go to the March for Life, we always have this, this kind of list of goals for the trip. Um, one of them is to exercise our First Amendment right of free speech, right? Of our ability to collect and to protest when we see an injustice. Um, a lot of times we have some other goals that might look like uh, just, just wanting to go on another retreat, uh, another thing, another, another kind of religious experience that's going to give us a chance to come to meet Jesus again. Some of it might be a, more of a social reason for some of our students, right? I, I've been on this trip for 10 years, and the one, one thing that I know everybody has a secret like, desire to do on this trip so now 10 years is a long time, but it, it does not fail that every year we've got a handful of students that the main reason why they go on this trip is very, very simple. They want to see snow. You put a bunch of Cajuns on a bus and send them north of like I-10 anytime during the winter. And the only thing that you got is, what if it snows? And everybody's fired up. Like, I remember there was, this, there was these three girls that would sit in the back of the bus, and that's all they could talk about was, what if it snows? Oh, we need to see snow. We need to see snow. Like, they'll check in the app, every app that they can for the weather, just hoping and praying that snow is in the forecast. Now, generally speaking, most of the time, most of the time, there is snow. So if you're thinking about coming on a March for Life, you need like a last-minute reason to come, there's possibly snow. But anyway, um, there's a... Like, there's always this kind of desire that's there during the course of the traveling. And there's this anticipation that we might be able to see snow. Hopefully we get there and we get to play in the snow. So the second day we wake up because we, we traveling on the bus all night. And when we wake up the second day, we're on the bus. You had your good two hours of restful, deep sleep. It's awesome. Um, we usually stop at a gas station in the morning. And when we stop... We uh, let people go and like get their, brush their teeth and clean up and do what they got to do, get some coffee or like something like to eat for breakfast. And when they get off the bus, this happened a handful of times where we've gotten off the bus and we're in Virginia and it had snowed three days before. And when they get out, they look across the parking lot at the gas station and they see this mountain of ice. And it's like, it's all the junk ice that, has, that had landed on the, in the parking lot that they just kind of threw over to the side. And it's basically a big ice cube. And there's like mud and oil and like just, it kind of stinks. And it's a little bit gross. And go, people are like, why are you talking about this? Um, it's all this parking lot ice that has just been thrown over to the side. But it's inevitable that somebody's going to get off and be like, look at the snow way off. This is not snow, right? This is just parking lot ice. But I think what happens is, is that the desire and the anticipation of seeing snow, the first chance they get to see anything that looks like it or feels like it, they're like, that's it. And they're ready to go jump and play in it. Nobody wants to play in parking lot ice, right? A couple of days later, generally speaking, the heavens open up, and there's a good layer of, you know, three, four inches of snow on the ground, and we get to do our snowball fights and building a snowman and all that kind of thing, and it's a lot of fun. But that's actually what fulfills the desire. You see, these students, they have a desire in their heart, and because the desire is big and it's good and, it, and they're, they're hoping for something, they're willing to fulfill, they're willing to fill it 
with anything that even looks close to it. Parking lot ice instead of real snow. The good desire of wanting to see something, they fall for the counterfeit instead of the real thing. Because the real thing you might have to wait for. I think this kind of, this, this dynamic happens in our spiritual life as well. I think this dynamic kind of happens from time to time in our spiritual life where we, we feel like, Lord, I'm, I'm opening up to you. I'm hearing your word. I'm, I'm, I'm diving a little bit more into my faith. I'm, I, 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 I'm fed at Mass and I, like, I'm understanding my faith. And, and, and this is good stuff that's going on. And as that desire is fed and as our hearts open up and we're excited to receive from God, sometimes we can settle for the parking lot ice instead of diving into the relationship that God really wants from us. Sometimes we can settle for something that's a little bit less. It's good, as opposed to being the best. Today in our scripture, we hear, these, we, we hear this happen a couple of times. where We have some central figures in our scripture where they're pointing out, where we're hearing this message, and it's pointing out that it's okay to have this desire but don't settle for the parking lot ice. Reach, reach, wait, be patient for the real snow, for the nice powdery substance that you get to throw at people, right? Today in our scripture, our first reading, uh, we hear about this mother in the Old Testament. This mother in, in second book of Maccabees, this mother has seven sons and those seven sons and her are faithful Jews. They follow the law. They do everything that they're supposed to. They offer sacrifice. They don't eat what they're not supposed to eat. They pray when they're supposed to pray. They are faithful Jews, and that's all they want to be are faithful Jews. Until there's a persecution of Jews in the land, and they're all arrested. Now, all eight of them are arrested. And what happens? We hear, we hear kind of an excerpt of this story. That they're, they're all brought out one by one in front of the community, in front of each other, and they're asked to apostatize from their faith. They're asked to turn their back on God. They're asked to look at God and say, I don't believe, or I don't want to follow, and to eat pork, which was a big taboo in the Jewish faith. And if they don't do it, they pay an ultimate price. Well, one by one, they don't break their faith. They don't, go, they don't turn their back on God. They're not living for parking lot ice because they recognize that the snow of heaven is so much sweeter and fulfills the desire so much more. Now, I know for us, that, that, that may seem foreign. Like, well, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of intense. Like, you're going you're gonna to lay down your life to not break the rules of the faith. Well, in the Catholic tradition, we, have, we, we hold on to this tradition. We lift up this tradition of the martyrs. And for thousands of years now, Catholics have seen and, and recognized that the seed of the faith is the blood of the martyrs. That throughout the centuries, the martyrs have been the thing that has shown and witnessed to us what it means to sacrifice for your faith. All the way back to the Acts of the Apostles, we hear St. Stephen lays down his life for the faith. If we, want two, if we want two examples from more modern time, we just have to look at the last hundred years. 
And a hundred years ago in Mexico, there was a young man. His name was Jose Sanchez de Rio. Jose Sanchez de Rio. He, has been, he was canonized in 2016 by Pope Francis because a hundred years ago in Mexico, it was illegal to be Catholic. It was outright illegal to live your faith, to pray your Mass, to, for a priest to be wearing garb of a collar or anything that showed that he was a priest. It was absolutely and utterly illegal and they would kill you in the street if you did it. St. Jose was was a 14-year-old boy growing up in this country, growing up in that environment. He had been a little bit of a mischievous kid at one time. He became an altar server. He started to grow closer, like to learn from this one holy priest in his life. He came to like, come to understand who God was and recognize that this world had a lot of parking lot ice, but the ultimate desire of his heart was to sit in the powdery snow of heaven. And when it was time for him, he would, help out the, he would help out the revolutionaries who were trying to overthrow the government and fight back against the government because they wanted to practice their faith in freedom. And he was arrested. 14-year-old boy. And whenever he was thrown, he was thrown aside, he, they basically told him over and over and over again, you have, to, you have to go against your faith. All you have to do is say that God is dead, that you don't believe. Whatever it is, you just have to go against your faith and they're going to have mercy on you. And he went through all these different kind of tortures. They skinned the bottom of his feet, made him walk across salt. They made him walk across the town into the cemetery and look at his own grave. And it was his last chance. And they looked at him and they said, one more time, do you believe or not? And expecting him to deny his faith and to step away, he looked at him and he said the same words of the revolutionaries, Viva Cristo Rey, which means, long live Christ the King. And he went to sleep in that grave. 14-year-old boy. We fast forward a couple, of, a couple of years. 50 years or so. We find ourselves in Poland. And there was a priest. After World War II, communist occupation of Poland. There was this priest. His name was Father Józef Papawuszka. And because it's a fun word to say, I'm going to ask you to repeat it. Father Józef Papawuszka. It's a great word to say. Drop it at a party this weekend. You're going to be a stud. Don't worry. But Father, Jose, Father Joseph Papawuska, what he was is, he was a priest that just saw that the communists weren't recognizing the dignity of human beings, the dignity of work. And he started a movement against the communist group. And he got a little bit too powerful. And the communists made him disappear. They ended up finding him. He was in the trunk in a car in a river. But he stood up for what he believed in a political environment that, didn't, that wasn't very popular. St. Jose stood up for what he believed in a political environment that wasn't very popular. Essentially, both of them, they, were too, they weren't concerned with parking lot ice. They were focused on the powdery snow of heaven. You see, the martyrs, for us, they give us an inspiration. These are two from the last hundred years, but there have been more blood spilled in this last generation, this last, um, last century, than there had been for centuries before. That we as Christians are, are persecuted. 
But why do, we, why do we reflect on this? It's to strengthen us. It's to strengthen our way of living. And the witness that they give is that there's something greater than parking lot ice. There's something greater than those things that we kind of distract ourselves with from time to time. Like 40, 46 to 41 is so great and so much fun, but it's useless in the grand scheme of things. I know, I just said that. 46 to 41 is great and awesome and a lot of fun, and I know we all had fun watching a football game yesterday, but ultimately it is absolutely useless in the grand scheme of things. A Super Bowl this year would be so much fun to watch and so great for our community, but it's useless in the grand scheme of things. What is it that our life is focused on? The deepest desires of our heart are not going to be determined by some football team that we don't really associate with. The deepest desires of our heart are going to be determined, are going to be fulfilled with this relationship with God, first and foremost. If we see the Gospel today, we read the short version, but if we see the Gospel today, the Sadducees come to, come to Jesus and try and catch Him in this thought exercise. They're trying to catch Him in, a, in, 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 a, in not understanding what He's teaching. They're trying to make Him look like a fool in front of people, and they test Him with this story that there's seven men, there's seven brothers, and the oldest marries this woman. And they don't have kids, and by the law, he's supposed to be married to the next brother, and the next, and the next, until they bear children. And none of them bear children, but they all die. And at the end of her life, she dies. And the question that they ask him is very simple. They say, who is he given to in heaven? You see, Jesus isn't going to play their little game. He's not going to get caught in their teaching, because the reality is, is that the sacraments in this world are pointing to something greater. The sacraments in this world point us to the relationship that we have with God. If, we, if, if today you decide that you're going to go to New Orleans, and you drive down Highway 90, you might see a sign that says, New Orleans, 48 miles. A little while later, you might see a sign that says, New Orleans, 25 miles. A little while later, you might see a sign that says, New Orleans, 10 miles. When you get to New Orleans, you don't need a sign anymore. You don't need a sign that says, New Orleans, zero miles. You're there. If we think of the sacraments, the sacraments are simply signs pointing us to a place, pointing us to a person. So there's no Eucharist in heaven. Because we, we dive into the, the eternal liturgy, the eternal Mass. There's no need to receive Jesus in body and blood, in His body and blood in the, in the Eucharist, under the appearance of bread and wine. We get to receive Him in His person. We're face to face with Him. You see, everything that we do in this church, everything that we do as a parish, as a community, is meant to point us here with our Lord, first and foremost. Like beyond the sacraments, beyond everything that we do, beyond the music, beyond everything else, like what we're called to be is in relationship with Jesus, first and foremost. And from there, everything else makes sense. Sometimes we can get distracted by parking lot ice. When in reality, what we want, what we desire, what's in us to be desired most and first and foremost is our relationship with Jesus. It was a, a couple years ago, I was, uh, I was at a conference. And at this conference, there was a deacon that was standing up giving this presentation, really 
great presentation, talking about living his life in the Spirit and, and praying and preaching the Gospel and doing all these things. Like, he had a really evangelical way about him, and it was awesome. It was awesome to hear him give this talk and, and, and hear his witness and all these things, going on mission trips and stuff. Like, he was talking about all these great tasks. And it was really great. And at one point, he said, where do you go? The question he proposed, he says, where would you go if you want to live as a disciple of Jesus? Where would you go if you want to live as this on-fire Catholic, if you want to learn how to pray, if you want to learn the Word, if you want to be sent out into the world, where do you go to do this? And I remember somebody in the front row raised their hand and said, my parish? And the guy looked around and everybody started laughing. That it was so absurd that the idea of living as an on-fire, vibrant Catholic could possibly begin in the parish. If that's where we are, I don't believe that that's where we are, but if that as a church is where we are, where it's laughable to think that people can be vibrant Catholics within the context of a parish, then we have lost. Then we are too far gone. I don't believe for a second that that's the case here at St. Hilary. I don't believe for a second that we're too far gone. Because the reality is, is that the Lord wants to work through us. There's, within our parish bounds... If I had to estimate, there's something about 8,000 people that live in our parish bounds. And God wants a relationship with every single one of them the same way He wants a relationship with you. So for each of us, our call as Christians, our call as a baptized Catholic, first and foremost, is to be close to God and to love Him and to know Him and to believe in Him and to learn about Him and to pray to Him. And then to share it. This past week, I was on vacation, got to hang out with a few priests, and I got to pray with this a lot. Our call, my call, first and foremost, not as a priest, not as a, semina a former seminarian, not as any of that, my call, first and foremost, as a Catholic, is to live right here with Him. To be in relationship with Him first. And from there, to share it. That's the call for each one of us. Because the deepest desire of our hearts is not going to be fulfilled by doing or by activism or by a bunch of stuff that we have going on in our life that might look good or sound good. The deepest desire of our hearts is going to be fulfilled first right here with Him. Being close to Him. Learning, praying, diving into a relationship with Him. Getting to know Jesus as a friend and not a concept. Today we come to this Mass not for, not for any of the, of the parking lot ice of our life. Not for anything that, would, that all those little idiosyncrasies and smaller things. We come to Mass today for one reason and one reason alone. To dive in relationship with Him. This is our call. This is what we're called to do as, as people of faith. This is what we're called to do as Catholics. This is what Jesus commissioned us to do when He ascended. 
He didn't say, come and visit and spend, a week, spend an hour with me and make sure to put your money in the collection. He said, be my disciple. Follow me. Remain close to me. Remain with me. Today we come, not for parking lot ice, but we come for the snow that's going to satisfy our desire. Today, may we receive Him. Receive the One who satisfies.